Thanks, Jonas. Uh, if you've got one of the rogue outlines that has Nikhil's name at the top, you can cross it out and write Marty. And I reckon if we just keep the temptation one, two, and three there, we should be all right. And at the top, you can write hope overcoming temptation question mark. And I think that'll get us out of trouble. I reckon that we'll get there. And, and all the headings will come up on the screen, so we should be all right. Okay, let's pray and get into God's Word. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we've just been reminded that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. We pray that you would feed us now from your word. Amen. Temptation. This week, Mike was out of the office for a few days. And there was an open box of Rose's chocolates sitting on his desk. A good number of these roses had already been consumed, but there were 11 chocolates left. Shiny, bright, metallic-y, kind of plastic-y wrapping, bite-sized. And you could almost hear them whispering to me, Marty, Mike isn't here. He probably won't notice. Imagine the instant satisfaction you could experience if you walked over here to his desk and ate me. My silky smooth chocolate melting on your tongue and trickling down your throat. What would I do? I looked to my right. I looked to my left. Cameron wasn't there. Robin wasn't there. Nobody was in the office. I saw that the chocolate was good for food and delightful to look at, maybe even desirable for obtaining wisdom. I'm not going to tell you what I did next. But temptation, temptation. Now, obviously, this is a trivial example, but it does capture something of what we experience on a daily basis. Oh, I know it's the wrong thing to do, but the satisfaction will be immediate. The consequences, well, we can deal with that later. Right now, I just need that fix. It won't hurt anyone. It'll make me feel better now. Have you had a moment like that this week? If you have, you stand with me in a long line of tempted people. I mean, just think of some of the famous people in the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are tempted by the devil to eat the forbidden fruit. In the Exodus, Moses and the entire nation of Israel are tempted to reject God as they're in the wilderness, to turn to other gods, to go back to Egypt, to make demands of God. In the time of the kings, we have King David, and, and David is tempted to commit adultery with Bathsheba. He even is tempted to use his position of authority to seduce her. We stand in a long line of people who struggle with the reality that is temptation. We stand in a long line of people who have failed to resist temptation. And it gets you thinking, doesn't it? If these guys, who are kind of like the big mummies and daddies of the Bible, if these guys can't overcome temptation, if they fall into temptation, what hope is there for me in overcoming my temptation? What hope is there for us in overcoming temptation? If Adam, and he, remember, Adam walked and talked with God. If he couldn't overcome temptation, and there was like only one thing there tempting him, he fell for it first go. And Moses and Israel, they've seen great miracles. They've seen the sea torn in, torn in half. And they couldn't overcome their temptation. 
And David, one of the great kings of the Bible, a man after God's own heart, even called the son of God. If he can't overcome his temptation, what hope is there for the rest of us? And this brings us to Matthew's gospel, where we find that hope. Last week, we saw Jesus proclaimed as God's mighty son at his baptism in the last few verses of chapter 3. But this week, we're going to be heading into the wilderness in verse 1. And in verse 1, we see that it's that same spirit who we saw at the baptism, who appeared like a dove, and he now leads Jesus into the wilderness, the same place where Israel faced their testing, their temptation. And Jesus, just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, is tempted by the devil. Then in verse 2, we read that Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I did the maths. That's 120 meals he's skipping. No coffee, no bacon and egg rolls, no hope at night dinners, no kick-ons, no Nando's, 40 days. Now, question for the congregation. Where does your mind go when you hear the number 40 in the Bible? Anyone want to shout it out? Where does your mind go? Number 40. Noah's Ark, yep. There's uh, 40 days and 40 nights, Noah's Ark. Anything else? Wandering in the desert, and how long was that for? 40 years. There's also Moses up in Mount Sinai in, in Exodus 34. He's fasting for 40 days as well. It's a very significant number in the Bible. And particularly, I think, because we've got Moses for the 40 days fasting, and then we've got the, that Exodus wilderness uh, thing going on. I, I reckon that we're getting some serious Moses-Israel flashbacks here with the 40 days. Now, as you can imagine, after that 40 days, Jesus is hungry. Uh, I did some research during the week. According to my research, it is possible in the right conditions for a human who isn't Jesus to go 40 days without food. But by the end of that 40 days, you will be hungry, tired, delirious. And that means you'll be vulnerable, very, very vulnerable. And, and, and just as an aside, temptation often strikes when we are most vulnerable. Whether hungry like Jesus or dehydrated or, or tired late at night or a bit depressed, we've been through something big and emotional, that's when we're often most vulnerable to, to temptation. So it is worth taking care of ourselves on that basic life stuff, getting enough sleep, taking care of our bodies, etc. But back to Jesus, back to Jesus. He is hungry and he is vulnerable. And then the devil launches three temptation grenades at him. Temptation number one, stones to bread. Verse three, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So back in the previous chapter at Jesus' baptism, God has just announced to the world that Jesus is the son of God. Can he live up to his identity? In the Old Testament, the son of God is a title given to great kings. So when we, and then when we get to the New Testament, we know that we, we discover that the title Son of God also means that Jesus is the literal Son of God from all eternity with the majesty, power, and glory of God. So this Son language that the devil is referring to, it's befitting of someone who is mighty, esteemed, and probably well-fed, not of someone who's hungry. So when the devil comes speaking to him, what, what he's saying to Jesus is this, come on, you're a king, 
God literally just said to you in front of everyone at your baptism, this is my son who I love. You deserve a good meal. Stop relying on God. Stop, don't, stop trusting the Holy Spirit. He isn't feeding you. Take matters into your own hands. Do things your way. Treat yourself. But then look at Jesus' response. Verse 4. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is something more important than food. I've tried to explain this to the Year 6 boys at youth group. You should see these guys on Friday nights and Sunday mornings. Man, they love food. We're, we're working on it with them. But there is something that we need more than food. We don't live on bread alone. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here Jesus is actually quoting words that come from the very mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8. The devil is trying to tempt Jesus to disobey God. But Jesus knows the truth. Only if he remains well-fed on God's word, which will mean resisting temptation, only then will he live. And so that's what Jesus does. He overcomes the first temptation by feeding on God's word, remembering God's word. We're going to see in a moment that Matthew 4 isn't primarily meant to be a guide on how we resist temptation, on how we endure trials. That's not what it's mainly about. It's about something actually much bigger. But that said, Jesus' strategy for overcoming temptation here is a very good one. Feeding on God's word is a great strategy for resisting temptation when it comes. Echoing what Mike said just last week, that's why at Hope Church we're so keen for people to be at church each week and to join hope groups and come along to youth group. We live on the word of God. We need to hear it, to learn it, to feed on it, to digest it. In fact, those at kids' church and youth group know that I'm a big fan of learning memory verses. Uh, they know this painfully well. At each term at youth group and at kids' church, I make them all learn uh, a memory verse song that I've composed and I put like the auto-tune up to 100. It's a little bit cringeworthy, but it does help the youth learn those memory verses. The reason why I do that is because memorizing the Bible is a really helpful way of fixing our minds on what matters, on God's ways, on God's intentions, on what he wants. And this can help us, particularly in times of temptation. Why not memorize verse 4 this week? And next time you're tempted to prioritize your own comfort or your own health and well-being over what God wants, you can remind yourself, verse 4, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right. Now we come to, to temptation number two. The pinnacle of the temple. Verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city, that is Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. My commentaries tell me that that's probably about 10 stories high. So it's very, very high. And the devil said to him, quoting Psalm 91, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In the previous temptation, Jesus says that he lives on the word of God. 
And now the devil is going to try and tempt him with said word of God. He's quoting from Psalm 91. And he's saying, Jesus, the Bible says God will send his angel to support you, to rescue you. So let's test God. Let's see what God does if he sees his son, whom he loves, falling to the ground from the top of the temple. After all, you're very important, Jesus. You are God's son. And if you're not willing to test God, says the devil, do you really trust him? Do you really believe the Bible? Psalm 91, I just quoted it. Do you believe God will protect you? Do you really live on every word that comes from his mouth? Let's test God. That's what the devil is saying. And you know, there are a number of ways that even we try to test God. I've known people who've actually kind of basically tried to broker deals with God. They've said things like, or they've prayed things like, God, if you're there, if you really do care, if you can be trusted, prove it by giving me some deeply felt need. A good mark on my exams. A girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife. More friends. This, this job that I want. Give me a sign that you are there and that you care. Many people have been tempted to test God just like this. But look at how Jesus responds when he's tempted. Verse 7. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Here, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6. Back in the days of Moses, the Israelites tried to do the same thing when they were wandering the desert. They tried to test God. They questioned his authority. They questioned his love for them. They questioned whether he can be trusted. But just like God in Deuteronomy 6, Jesus says, no. God is not to be tested. God is to be trusted. He's not to be tested. He's to be trusted. The miracle of being saved by angels from a giant fall would have been sensational. It would have been spectacular. His Instagram followers would have gone up like crazy. But if Jesus really wants to show that he trusts God, he won't test him. And it's interesting. In verse 11, we see that after the three temptations, God actually does support Jesus with the angels. He commands his angels concerning him. In his hour of need, just as Psalm 91 said, God does that. He supports Jesus with those angels. But back to temptation two. We've just seen that the devil has tried to lure Jesus away with food. Jesus says, no, I will trust God and his word. Then the devil tries to lure Jesus away with God's word, testing if he really does trust God and his word. Jesus says, yeah, actually, I do trust God. And no, I'm not going to test him. First two temptations have failed. And now the devil comes up with strategy number three. Don't trust God. Trust me. I can give you the kingdoms of the world. That's what the devil says. Verse 8. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Just imagine with me what, what that must have been like for Jesus. Just picture what the devil might have shown Jesus in this vision. The, the great pyramids of Giza, the hanging gardens of Babylon, the statue of Zeus at Olympia, 
the temple of Artemis at Ephesus, the lighthouse of Alexandria, the great wonders of the ancient world. You've just gone 40 days, nearly six weeks, out in the desert, no shelter from the wind, no shade from the sun, and now you're offered entire kingdoms and palaces. And forget having to jump off a a 10-story building like in The Last Temptation. This time all you have to do is just drop to the floor. You know, just a bit bit of bowing down, uh, just change your allegiances a bit, just just trust Satan a bit. You're hungry, tired, delirious. It's probably got a sore back as well. Surely it'd be pretty tempting, right? But check out Jesus' response. Verse 10. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love that. It's just so direct and to the point. Go away, Satan. How often do you and I say that when we're tempted? Go away, Satan. That's Jesus' automatic reply. It reminds me of Martin Luther, the man who started the Protestant Reformation back in the 16th century. You may have heard this story, you may not have. Apparently, he was, he was at the Wartburg Castle translating the Bible into, into German. And he got some pretty strong vibes that the devil was there and didn't like this and, and he wanted to disturb his work. The story goes that when the devil tried to tempt him, Luther just grabbed his ink pot and just pegged it at the wall and, um, and threw it at Satan's head. Apparently, like tour guides up until recently used to always point it out like where the ink apparently was on the wall, but now it's faded. Uh, Anyway, apparently that's what happened. Luther had the same inclination as Jesus. Tell Satan to get lost when he's tempting you. (coughs) But then Jesus goes back to the Bible and he follows it up with this. He's quoting again from Deuteronomy. And he says, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now remember, Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. He's probably feeling a bit burnt out. He could have all the material wealth the world has to offer. Forget the new iPhone or the car or that new investment property or the new TV. He could have all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He can have the pyramids. And yet he says, no, that's the wrong priority. My priority is to serve God and him alone. He can have the world, but he chooses worship. And by worship, he's not just talking about what, what he does on a Sunday night between 6 and, 7, 15, 6 and 7, 15 on a Sunday night. By worship, he means all of life. He's saying, I am going to worship God with all of my life. That is my priority. I'm going to make God number one. If we're honest with ourselves, we sometimes choose the world. I mean, can you think of a time when you've been tempted to prioritize the things of the world over serving God. We've all done it. And really, this brings us back to our question from the start. What hope actually is there for us in overcoming temptation? I mean, Jesus has given us some great strategies here. Feed on the word. Don't test God. Trust God. Choose worship, not the world. These are great strategies for overcoming temptation. And as Chung has reminded us helpfully in the interview, we should like we hear in Colossians 3, be putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Matthew 4 gives us some great strategies for how we can do that. But as good as these strategies are, the reality is, sometimes, 
maybe even often, we will fail. We still fall into temptation. But the good news of Matthew 4 is that it shows us that even when we fail, we have hope because of Jesus, who never gave in to temptation. Central to Matthew's gospel, central to Christianity itself, is the promise that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And what is it that qualifies Jesus for this task? Jesus perfectly resisted temptation and lived the life that we were supposed to live. Unlike Adam, Jesus never gave in to sin when tempted by the devil. Unlike Israel, Jesus never gave in to sin when tempted in the desert. And unlike David, Jesus is a son of God who never used his position of authority as an excuse for sin. Jesus is the new Adam, the new Israel, the true son of God. He came to live that life that we could never live. He always fed on God's word. He never trusted God. He, he never tested God. He always trusted God. He always worshipped and served God. He did what we couldn't do. He became what we couldn't be. To overcome temptation and sin and the devil for us. To obey God's law perfectly for us. To fulfill all righteousness for us. As Chung mentioned in the interview just before, he came to fulfill the law. His perfect obedience in his life is what makes him a perfect substitute for us in his death. So, when we face temptation, when we face sin, our ultimate hope is not that we overcome temptation, sin, and the devil. Our ultimate hope is that Jesus, Jesus has overcome temptation, sin, and the devil. Imagine someone has one of those physical film reels. You know, those big wheel things with all that, all that, that black film. And this, on this film, it has footage of every time you've ever given in to temptation. For those who trust Jesus, God has shredded those film reels and replaced it with footage of Jesus perfectly resisting temptation, sin, the devil in our place. That's what's on the record for, record for us. Jesus has overcome temptation and sin in our place. He is our hope. So when we confess our sins, when we turn to Jesus, God no longer sees our failures. He sees Jesus' victory. And when you feel that guilt that comes with temptation and sin, remember what Jesus has done for you. Confess your sin, trust that he has dealt with it, and feel the freedom that comes with forgiveness. As for Jesus' strategies, they are good strategies, and we do well to imitate him, feeding on the word, trusting, not testing, worshipping God, not seeking the splendors of the world. These are good strategies for us to follow when we face temptation. But at the end of the day, let's remember that even when we fail, there is still hope. Jesus is perfect, temptation-resistant life qualifies him to rescue us from our sins. And he has rescued us. That is our hope. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the new Adam, the new Israel, the true Son of God. 
Thank you that he has overcome temptation, sin, and the devil in our place. Help us to trust him and put our hope in him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, friends, in response to what we've heard, let's stand and sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.